Sue's journal entries, recorded in real time, from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Welcome to Trauma Healing Learning 7, Healing Trauma Through Acupuncture with Dr. Janice Campbell. Today's episode is another special one as we welcome back Dr. Campbell, a member of my own care team and someone who has turned her own suffering and knowledge of the central nervous system into a profession of helping others through acupuncture. Dr. Janice Campbell is a licensed acupuncturist and doctor of oriental medicine based in Maryland. She is also the former clinical director of the Maryland University of Integrative Health for two decades. Janice struggled with asthma throughout her own life and turned to multiple medical modalities, both Western and Eastern, to aid in her own recovery and she now uses these practices to aid others. You may recall hearing from Janice in the last Trauma Healing Learning as she integrates somatic touch into her five-element acupuncture practice. In this Trauma Healing Learning, I wanted to explore with Janice acupuncture for pain relief and trauma healing. At this point in the blink of an eye story, Archer's medical team and I were exploring other modalities to treat Archer's excruciating pain. And I wondered if Archer might benefit from acupressure. The medical team and I knew acupressure relieved his pain, or at least gave him a small amount of respite, but it was only for short periods of time. I wondered about other non-pharmacological methods that might give him relief for longer periods. I was also aware myself that I was feeling untethered too, feeling off my game in my body. I had what I called my own care team back in Baltimore, people I had carefully assembled around me over the years to make sure the work I did daily as a mediator in other people's conflicts was not adversely impacting me. And the team had raised my awareness over the years of my own early trauma of loss of my dad when I was only three years old. My care team was a hand-selected group of amazing practitioners, including a massage therapist who knew cranial sacral release, a nutritionist who knew muscle response testing to allow my body to choose the supplements I needed, my Enneagram missing middle group, who first introduced me to somatic awareness of my body, and two therapist professional friends who were always available for me for sessions as needed. I also had a spiritual director whom I would consult every few months, and I even considered my hairstylist to be a member of my team. I did not then have an acupuncturist on my team. It was only many months after Archer's accident, when I discovered how acupuncture worked to also help heal the body. This time, from overwhelming stress, I began to later experience as a result of the traumatic event and its consequences. In this interview, you'll hear about Dr. Campbell's transition from her own stressful career in stage management in theater to acupuncture and how she now works one-to-one with her patients to help relieve their suffering due to overwhelming stress and chronic pain and traumatic disorders. So, settle in, take a deep breath, or as Dr. Campbell asked me, empty yourself into the cushion and consider the many trauma healing paths we are exploring that might lead you to your healing or someone you love, to theirs. Welcome to Trauma Healing Learning 7, Healing Trauma Through Acupuncture. 
So I am blessed to introduce you to Dr. Janice Campbell, she's my acupuncturist, but she is a doctor of acupuncture and herbal medicine. She is a former faculty member for many years at the Maryland University of Integrative Health, and she has been also the former director of clinical education there. So we welcome Janice to Blink of an Eye and to this trauma healing episode with a real focus on how we can better understand acupuncture and its relationship to trauma. Welcome. Thank you. Well, before we get there, though, I know that you have a background as a stage manager. I do. And I am very curious how you got from stage managing to being an acupuncturist. Well, I was a theatrical stage manager, union stage manager, for about 15 years. When my father was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 1998, my husband and I dropped everything. We were living in Minneapolis at the time. We dropped everything, went to Georgia to look after him because I'm the youngest of six. And we all kind of knew that other five would fight over my mom if she needed caretaking, but that I was the only one that could tell my dad to sit down and shut up and take his medicine. So... We swept off to look after him toward, for the end of his life and last year of his life. And in the course of that, I had become asthmatic Thanksgiving of 1989 when I met my husband's extended family for the first time. Which I think maybe, is maybe we should pause there. <laughs> which is a little bit of a allergic reaction, I think. Um, or at least that's the way he tells it because he's sort of allergic to them too. Um, and in 94, I had beat my asthma by changing my diet, learning some yoga techniques to open up my ribcage, et cetera, et cetera, and gotten off all, all my drugs. I know you're in the middle of this important story, but that's a story unto itself. Yes. You had asthma in 1989. Then I beat it in 94. You beat it in 94, so after five years, mm -hmm. and it did come on when you did meet a difficult family. <laughs> yes. And, but you beat it with different modalities. Can mm -hmm. we just deviate there for a moment and sure. then come back? Well, I was stage managing at the time, and I got angry that I couldn't climb a, t flight a stairs quickly without gasping. And I had been on every asthma drug there was. And I probably had what they called exercise-induced asthma when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, is that the, allergic to uh, exercise? I, well, no. But when I was a kid in the seventy, in, you know, in the seventies, early eighties, it was more of a, you know, I'd get wheezy at soccer practice, and they'd be like, "Run more laps, you're out of shape," you know, not like, "Oh, your lungs might not be working." Anyway, but that had not been hindering me in any way, and seemed to be only exercise induced, you know, like serious lap running induced. And then, like I said, it came on in eighty nine, and then in ninety four. I read some stuff by Andrew Weil, I changed my diet, got rid of all sugar, really got rid of dairy. Because of what you read? Because of what or I read. Andrew Weil. Inflammation? Yeah, inflammation, and then I did these exercises with either rolled up towels or big foam rollers where I lay on them with them on my spine and it opens up my rib cage and all sorts of other things that I don't remember right now. And then I hacked my lungs out for about four months just coughing up phlegm and was done with my drugs. So the exercises may have also loosened a lot of the mm -hmm. phlegm in your lung. Yep. So it took a few months, but then... It was purged until 98, when we were down looking after my father. And it came back with such a vengeance that I was carrying a nebulizer, which are the machines that they put you on when you go to the ER. Only I had my own private one. And I was barely making it the three hours between treatments. Like, I was contemplating my own mortality while we were dealing with my father. And it, and it came on also very suddenly? Yeah, it came on while we were down there. While you are down, down there. there. Mm -hmm. And then we moved back to Minneapolis, and a friend of mine who had been the assistant director of the Guthrie and had quit and was becoming a shiatsu practitioner, she's now a wonderful librarian. The paths we do take. It's true. And she said to me, I just learned that in Chinese medicine, grief is associated with your lungs. You should go see this acupuncturist. Now, you have to understand that I am pathologically afraid of two things. 
snakes and needles. And my earliest memory is of watching a rattlesnake's jaws close like this close to my dog's nose when I was like two years old. And so, you know, the thought of going to an acupuncture is like the most ridiculous thing in the world. However, I was in such bad shape that I was like, I don't care. As long as I don't have to see the needles, I don't care. I don't care. What about this, uh, maybe for the first time, joining together of grief? an emotional experience with a physical mm-hmm. manifestation. Was that a new thought for you at that time too? Not really. It's interesting. Everything I've done has built on itself in a weird way. And I can say more about that in a minute, but I've always kind of thought of things as a whole piece. One way I put it is that learning this medicine was reminding me of what I already knew when I was little. Those are some of my favorite things to learn. Yeah. Like I've known it all along, but somebody really brilliant or from a different discipline has given me yeah. some additional language. Exactly. It's just thrilling, actually. Yeah. It's like, oh, I knew that already. Yeah. Anyway, I ended up going to see this guy, and he had just arrived in America and was learning to speak English, and he spent the entire appointment getting me to teach him how to swear appropriately in English. <laughs> so a Chinese... Man. Yeah, yeah. He's both he's both Mandarin, and he wanted to know how to swear put put swear words in appropriate places and in sentences. And so he's putting needles in my back, and he's yeah, you're you're out of, you're with a real expert, right? <laughs> well, I was a theater person, so I swore like a sailor, right? So, so you know, it's like no, that's a verb. You use it this way. Well, no, but sometimes it can be a noun, and this is a you know, and um, and so he was kind of a jerk, but it was also it was not some great you know spiritual revelatory experience however i walked out and i I felt like i had walked in with 12 x-ray lead vests on oh heavy kind of trying to breathe through that and i and i got off the table and nine of them were gone after his treatment after his treatment of me and you were not looking at the needles he was he was doing points on my back i didn't go back i had also started the qigong practice I had started taking Qigong, and that seemed to be helping, too. Oh, so Qigong, just as a footnote, yes. for those who might not be right. familiar with Qigong. It, qi, qigong means uh, energy cultivation, basically. The more uh, sort of flagship form of Qigong is Tai Chi. So I would started taking the Qigong classes, and they seemed to be helping. But then a couple of years later, I was trying to figure out what... I was going to be when I grew up this time. So was, so where were you with your asthma at this point? Um, my asthma had gotten to the point where I was, um, it was manageable. It was more seasonal, it, but it had been a couple of years, and or about a year and a half. And I was figuring out what I was going to do after leaving stage management because I realized I, after I got back that um, having dealt with actual life or death situation with my father, um, I just didn't have the patience to be a stage manager anymore. And at this point, your father had passed away. Mm-hmm. And my father passed. Well, he passed away before we got back. So, and then I then I woke up one morning, and the closest I can say is that I had an epiphany. Mm-hmm. I woke up and I went, "Oh, I'm going to acupuncture school." It, was it wasn't like a decision point. It was more like it was. It was already. And it was, yes, yeah. it was our. Yeah, it was going to happen. So I might as well not argue. You know. And I had thought about herbal medicine, and I'd studied, um, informally studied, what's somewhat erroneously called Western herbs for years, since I had spent some time living in London after I graduated from undergrad, and found out that a homeless person could go to an herbalist in Great Britain, and the state would pay for it. And I start, and there's a big UK herbal community. And, resources and stuff. And I'd started sort of studying it there. I was studying some with a couple of really well-known herbalists in Minneapolis. But interesting, isn't it, just the, the tapestry of our lives, how an experience in one completely different arena yeah. can give us an insight that can save us a lot of hardship and aggravation because we understand how something actually works in a system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So then everything just sort of swept forward from there. And yeah, twice in my life, I feel like I've just been sort of picked up by the Tao and swept along. And one was to go down and look after my dad, and the other was to sell the house and move back to the East Coast for me to go to acupuncture school. So we did that. And, and then being a stage manager 
compared to becoming an acupuncturist is but particularly uh, my the grounding of my acupuncture tra training is in bivalent acupuncture which part of it is not about the needles it's about being able to presence healthy flows of chi i will presence a particular type of chi um, chi movement and see how it resonates over there and see if it gets stuck or see if it needs to and i see how it resonates over there and that gives me information and i can sometimes even drop what we call verbal needles that will move stuff before I put needles in the first physical needles. And are you also without the needle yet attuning uh, something in your own body? So not just mm -hmm. not just verbally. no, not just verbally. No, it's it's, it's physical. It's the way I sit. It's the sound of my voice. It's the cadence of my my conversation. It's all all of me is lining up with it and. And I think uh, Western medicine calls it mirror neurons. A lot of what acupuncture school did was just give me language for what I already knew and then gave me a physical thing I could do that could further that. And so it all, oddly enough, builds on each other. So there is true intubation. Mm -hmm. Uh, the director of clinical education, it wasn't technically that title at that time, it was just director of clinic, um, when the person suddenly left the position and they needed somebody to get in, they said, ooh, let's ask Janice. So I, get, I finally said yes, and they gave me a contract dated the day they asked, <laughs> and even agreed to pay me for the month that I thought about it. So then I became, decent. and then um, once, then the job morphed in direct, to director of clinical education where it had a lot more moving parts and then quarantine hit and so quarantine hit and I was like it's okay give, give me give me three days and I will tell you how we're going to put a 3,000 year old medicine online and I did. They were so lucky to have you so has that changed what it is that you did for the university in acupuncture has that changed your methodologies or the way that you practice? Um, I mean, I did some telehealth during quarantine, like everybody else. It actually, the beautiful thing and what the students even said is that what quarantine gave us was a reminder of all the embodied work that we knew how to do. Telehealth said, relatively speaking, since you're online all the time in the world, you don't have to run around and get anything physical in your hands, and now you can do all of this. Gave much more time for the actual practice, mm -hmm. and it sounds like there may have even been some time almost naturally built in for integration mm -hmm. that would have been spent on running around doing the administrative kinds of things. Exactly. So mm -hmm. the students that started in person and then moved into telehealth and then graduated back in person have said to me, several of them, you know, that I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And that has made my practice so much more full, so much more, such a deeper practice um, as, a practi as a practitioner years. and as what I deliver to other people. Mm -hmm. And so to some degree, that's been true for me as well. Um, and in what ways, what, what would be some of the highlights of how the two years plus of COVID online has made a fuller experience for an acupuncturist? Well, online you have to listen in a different way. Um, online you have to pay a type of attention to physical shifts and clues that you can, if you're paying attention in the room, you can pick up on without thinking about and because of the energetic space between the people. But online, you're just you just have the visual information, and so being able like to two dimensional rather than three. Right, and so being able to pay attention to that shift, to be able to hear someone get quiet, because somebody can sit without saying anything and be very noisy, and some people can sit, and then you can sit and be very still, and to hear somebody shift from like internal noise to stillness online is very different than feeling it happen with somebody in person. And so it just fine-tuned my um, my antenna. Yeah, your other senses that mm -hmm. may not have 
needed to have been relied upon to the degree that they needed to then be right. because of COVID right. online. Right. Yeah. Well, and also being online teaching my patients how to find acupuncture points and having them having them sort of marvel at it and and um, be view the work they did with me differently because they had felt it they had felt a point on themselves. So let's talk about that. For especially for those who might not be familiar with acupuncture mm -hmm. and then might be incredibly marveling at acupuncture yeah. online. Mm -hmm. you know, can we talk about that? Acupuncture points have anatomical locations. There are so many so many units up in relation to this muscle or this bone or whatever. You can't necessarily treat just by knowing anatomical locations. Uh, years ago, when I was in school in the early 2000s, um, the University of California at Irvine actually did a study of acupuncture points. And it has to do with density in the connective tissue. And they sh change shape and size and move a little bit around in space from day to day, or even hour to hour sometimes. And so there's a very strong component of, of point location of being able to feel it, of being able to physically feel it. And everybody trains a finger or two fingers to find points. Mine's my middle finger on my right hand. And to be, and, and so to, you find it anatomically, but then you use your, you use your sensing finger to, to energetically find the point. And it feels like a little, like a little whirlpool, like a little divot. A little cone that's spinning or? Yeah, sort of. What it makes me think of is my, my uh, grandparents, my mother's parents, uh, my mother grew up in Savannah. And in the sand in Savannah, there are these little bugs that, that have the little funnel dots on everything. And you take sticks and you spin them around and the bug jumps out when you're a little kid. <laughs> and it makes me think of those. Only their own people. Um, those little kind of those teeny tiny, yeah, they're little bits. like like sand dwellers, yeah. but like almost little clam. Yeah, little sand mites. Sand mites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and so you can feel it once you've trained your finger to feel it. You can feel when you find a point. Because there is there's movement like underneath. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of what you're sensing then when you feel it. Yeah. sort of a spectrum um, with uh, acupuncture, chiropractic, um, even the massage. There's there's a spectrum of, of the way people practice and what people come to treatment for. And it ranges from way out in sort of the, the woo end of things to way into the sort of mechanical it's a way right brain to way left brain sort of um, spectrum of how people come in. And, you know, for some of my patients, showing them how to find a point and telling what they're like, oh, cool, you know. But for the ones that were coming in for me to fix a particular symptom and it didn't, they, they refused to sort of buy into the idea that that symptom was reflective of everything in the ecosystem of them that was going on, to show them how to find an acupuncture point, they'd be like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And it just would completely change the way they would approach their own um, treatment with me because of what they suddenly realized what what I was actually doing. I was not just like finding a point and sticking something in it. I was actually touching, I was actually touching part of what made them them and then giving it the opportunity to do what it does. Touching them in a way that was verbal and instructive so they could then physically right. touch them. Right. But in, and what I had been doing when they saw me in person was that I was actually laying hands yeah, on hands something on. that was that was very much them. It was kind of, it was, it was nice. It sort of added a, quarantine sort of added a little bit more of the magic back into my practice. So was that related to then acupressure? Yeah, we would do, um, I would assign acupressure things. Sometimes I would assign essential oils to be put on different points. Um, sometimes it had everything to do with intention. 
I would also do um, guided meditations along meridians um, that could break blocks. Um, there's uh, there's one that that uh, well in prior to that there's a quote from some of the ancient texts that says chi follows the mind and the mind is not in your brain the mind is in your heart energy um, follows attention yeah and so walking someone through where the meridians are running and giving attention to particular points along the way is actually you know not pretty comparable to putting a needle in it because the needle's really just saying hey remember this and your body's like um, I mean, I think particularly one patient I had that some, some, the meridians are all connected to each other in a variety of different ways, but one of them is sort of like lengths of a garden hose and they connect exit to entry going through the, all 12 and all 12, 12 meridians. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a clearing of, you know, or a walkthrough of one of the channels, um, that starts on the inside of your big toe and goes up the front of your leg and up and then ends right below your rib cage. On either side? On either side. So sure. would that be considered then two of the meridians? No, it's just, just one, one. Just one. Bilateral representation. Mm -hmm. And then it, then it has an internal branch that goes up and exits the top of your head. And so, and then travels through your upper torso to get there. We were doing that, and then I got her through the whole meditation, and, and she had some shifts, and then she said, but you know, right when it hit underneath my rib cage, I felt like I ran into a wall. So everything was like my muscles are relaxing, my vi my internal vision of what I wanted to do was clearer. That I, you know, I my irritation was sort of dissipating and finding solutions. And but then I hit that right under my rib cage, and I felt like I ran into a wall. And I had seen her in person uh, prior to quarantine, and she would often get a block between the meridian that ended below your rib cage and that started up here. And up here, I'm sort of like, like, your, where, like, like your, like your um, well, it's sort of like if you had on a pair of overalls, it'd be where the latches. Uh -huh. And so it was not uncommon for her to get that, that, that a, kink, a kink between those two garden hoses, right? Um, that, she would, that she would experience physically or uh, more usually, like just not feeling so great about something. Well, usually for her, it would, it would manifest as beating up with herself. So like a lot of self-criticism. Yeah, a lot of self-criticism, a lot of uh, not being able to move forward with something with plans or anything. Because she's, yeah. And so we did connection between these points and these points. Again, through meditation, through attention. Here's a footnote for all of our learning listeners. When Dr. Campbell refers to these points and says these points on this specific patient's body, She's referring to the meridian that ends just below the rib cage and the meridian that sits just below the collarbone. These are only two of the powerful areas on the body which have to do with intention and healing. Blockages at these points, as well as any others, can cause conflict between the body and the mind. This is an interaction that she and I go on to discuss further in the rest of the episode. And it broke. The block broke. And so it was something that had she been in person, I would put needles you in. would have put needles in that would have mm -hmm. done that. But you found a different modality that had the same result. Mm -hmm. So was what it was you were leading her through or other clients whom you worked with online, I'm I'm am more I'm interested in what you had said before around this acupressure because mm -hmm. I knew enough about acupressure to I mean one can say to be dangerous, uh, but you know no, no such thing right mm -hmm. with acupressure. When we were in the throes of uh, the you know the first weeks and, and month with Archer, uh, with his spinal cord injury, to try and relieve some of the pain that he was experiencing again around the lungs not being able mm -hmm. to breathe and just this panic and wondering if there was something we could do with acupressure around the lungs mm -hmm. but i didn't know enough about the meridians and which what was actually related or attached to the lungs and i'm 
But today, for all the years that I have known you and that you have helped me, the, the new little piece, even around grief and the lungs, mm -hmm. is really um, landing for me today in a really um, special way. Because I'm just wondering about acupressure and how it might relieve or resolve grief that allows one to then breathe more freely. Well, breathing is interesting because it, it involves, from a Chinese medicine standpoint, it involves the lungs, but it also involves the kidneys. Um, not the organ, the kidneys, although anytime I say kidney or lung or heart or small intestine or anything, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about the energetic that encompasses the pathway, but also encompasses a whole host of things that are associated with it. Smell, taste, sound, uh, favorite color, time of year, food, any number of things. Um, and that coalesces into the organs, but the organs are not the whole story by a long shot. So when I say that the kidneys are involved in, the, in breathing, clearly from a Western standpoint that deals very much with the physical aspects of things, the kidneys have nothing to do with breathing. However, in Chinese medicine, the lungs take in what is referred to as the breath of heaven, and the kidneys reach up and grab it and pull it down. The energetic of the kidneys reaches up and grabs it and pulls it, pulls it down, and then the lungs are responsible for releasing it. So when somebody comes to me and says they're having trouble breathing, I say, are you having trouble breathing in or breathing out? Because if they're having trouble breathing in, we're talking about is the kidney getting what it needs? If they're having trouble breathing out, then we're talking about is the lung able to release? Or are they just not talking to each other, which is a whole other conversation. Um, there are also other aspects of, like, of breathing when it comes to things like phlegm production, because that's more about digestive things and things going on with your spleen and your stomach um, that are then gumming up the works between the two. It's never, a, it's never a this does that. It's here's the way this whole organism this whole version of life moves you know are we talking about the chicken or the egg and i have a one thing that i started using i had it in my treatment room and used it periodically but i used a lot in telehealth was i have a mobile of uh five umbrellas that i had hanging inside of my camera and it's often the case of i'll grab one umbrella and i'll say I can pull, you know, this is your symptom. And I pull the umbrella down. And you see all of the rest of them dance and do all sorts of things. And I say, okay, so I could put a, that, if you're worried, this is the one that yells at you. This is the symptom that yells at you. I could put a weight on that one and make it go back down. Or I could do this to that one to make that one move. Or I could do this to that one. But really what I need to do is let go of this down here. And then everything moves again. And so it's, it's never a, it's never a, Simple, yeah, do this and that'll work. <laughs> I'll take care of it. It's, it's, what is this version, what is this human, what is this version of life doing? How is it moving? How are they moving? How are they, and, and when I say moving, I mean emotionally, mentally, physically, environmentally, um, and what's, what's stopping what? Because it's all just about a smooth flow of chi. So for each person, as it is related to chi, mm -hmm. um, are there patterns that you see and what mm -hmm. would ail people? So even though it's unique to each person, it, there are also some, we don't want to say a person's not unique, right. but there, the, the treatments would, would be known for what it is in that ecosystem mm -hmm. that is related to this and to that sure. in terms of the overall well, balance. And there are things that can help that may not be, that may be sort of a generic answer, may not be specific to the person, may not be the ideal thing that would help that individual, but would be okay and make things a little better until they can see somebody to, you know. Yeah, almost like a lot of the things that we might any of us might get online right. and research and be like, oh, wow, that, that helped. Yeah. But it may not have been as precise right. uh, or surgically, yeah. yes, I don't know, accurate or relieving right. as it could be with a practitioner for that individual person. Right. Okay, interesting. Like, for example, if somebody gets a hangover and they, they, there's all sorts of hangover cures and some work for some people and some don't, whatever. 
a lot of the hang not all some of the hangover verbs are quite good from a Chinese fluid physiology dynamic. Um, but some of them just mask the, you know, like I, a, a boatload of ibuprofen is yeah, going to make it shut up and not tell you that everything is horrible inside, right? Um, but if you came to see me with a hangover, which I bet they should show up with hangovers, um, it's about clearing heat from your stomach almost always. Not always, but lots of times because it's an external thing that's been brought in. Those are easier because it's about just pulling the heat out of the stomach. And it'll it'll resolve a hangover like that. Well, you know, I'm I'm also just kind of thinking about trauma mm -hmm. and trauma healing, and so much of of trauma can be emotional trauma, heartbreak, mm -hmm. right? Life being changed upside down, loss, yes. incredible loss. Where do you find as an acupuncturist that? What organs um, are involved in that, or where is that sort of showing up in the body oftentimes? It depends on the type of trauma. If it is a traumatic event, like an assault, or um, witnessing a, like a horrible car accident, or a killing of somebody or something, it depends on where within the elemental cycle that, say it was me, where I got stuck. In the elemental cycle of five elements? Yeah. It's water, wood, fire, earth, and metal. And those correspond to winter, spring, summer, late summer, or harvest, and fall. They also correspond to a bunch of different meridians and organs and smells and tastes and sounds. It's a whole system. If I wanted to run and I couldn't, if I had the impulse to run and I couldn't, and I got stopped and held while I was trying to escape, then it's very likely that I would lodge that trauma in my or, or held while you're trying to get to. to right or stopped from mm -hmm. getting to somebody. Any any of that impulse, that impulse that pushes the bulb up out of the ground in the springtime, if that gets thwarted in me or stopped in me, then it, it's likely that I will then house that trauma in my spring in my wood energy. Me, and it may show up in my liver, it may show up in my gallbladder, it may show up in the way I make decisions, it may show up in the way I, I value judge what is just or exact about a situation. There's a, it may show up in my eyesight, um, and, which are all associated to the same, the same element. Um, so it depends, you know, that would be different as opposed to say, um, if it got thwarted in fire that would be more of when I sought when I sought partnership or connection to solve the problem or when I or or, or someone or if someone um, I, I believed someone and trusted them and let them in and they did something horrible and used me in a way that betrayal betrayal in some way that would possibly that would very likely lodge itself in, in my, the fire part of my constitution, which would then affect my interpersonal relationships and affect how I network with other people and maybe affects my heart or even my small intestine or how I, who I let in and who I don't or, or how the temperature operates in my body or any number of other things. So it depends on where people land. Now, that being said, there's always some element of when there's some fight or flight aspect to it, um, there's some element of it affecting uh, your water energy, which is your kidneys and your blood. Um, there's some, and, and with somatic touch, which is, is one of the modalities that I, that I weave into my practice, um, there are many aspects of somatic touch where I'm, laying my hands on different parts of somebody's body while they're fully clothed laying on the table and we're both paying attention to different parts of the body and letting them relax or shift or move or whatever. But uh, most somatic touch practitioners, the lion's share of what we do is help people's kidneys relax. Because when we go into fight or flight, we kind of pull them up a little bit into our body, which puts a little tension on our adrenal glands on top. I was just going to ask about, do the, are the yeah. adrenals involved in this as well? Yeah. 
and it's not, um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a fight or a flight response. Even a collapse response could, could, have, could have that same physical manifestation. And so often what I'll do is through somatic touch, through putting my hand under someone's back and us both paying attention to that part of the body, allow that part of the body to relax. And when that part of the body relaxes, then a whole host of other things are let go. Because our body houses symptoms and emotional memories and um, things for us that no amount of talking about it is going to take care of. And even with like people who have um, pre-verbal abuse situations and things like that, even more so, that's the case. That's what our bodies do is they're like, okay, sure, I'll slap this away in your hips. Yes, I'll put this in your knees. Yes, I'll have this affect your digestion so that you don't feel it. But at some point it starts, at some point it will start spilling out in knee pain or digestive issues or It's just else. amazing, isn't it? All the, I mean, none of us can escape trauma. No. Whether, you know, as, as pre-verbal babies, children, you know, breakups, loss, right. mm -hmm. uh, families, divorcing, death, it's, it's uh, and then life, you know, mm -hmm. society around us. How it is that so many of us might be walking around with our organs uh, suffering or our diet. We, we hear so much these days about digestion mm -hmm. um, that could be almost a incremental unlayering of mm -hmm. a number of traumas in the past. Yep. But you just can't get to all of them all at the same time. Well, and culturally, I mean, actually internationally, we all spent two years in winter. We all spent two years in high alert and concerned about resources. Speaking of the COVID. Yeah. And with that, what that meant was we didn't have, there, there, was, there was no spring for two years, energetically speaking. We did not have partnership beyond if we, you know, people we lived with, if we were lucky enough to be living with people. Um, our way of connection became very non-physical. No, we really didn't. It was like we were afraid to touch each other, mm -hmm. hug each other, sleep with each other. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then we didn't have any community. None, none of that community need was being filled, which is very much the late summer energy. And there was too much grief. There was, there was our, our fall. What's associated with fall? It there was too much of it. Either personally experienced or watching it happen yeah, around the globe, young children, and there was school. nowhere to go. There was no like, I'm going to go to that island where they're not having COVID, you know. And so this spring has been really interesting in my treatment room and in my life of watching everybody try to figure out how to rise up with spring. Everybody wants to get back out there and start doing things again, but really, we need to. There's no, there's no, if you think about it in terms of like water feeding a plant, winter feeding, our, our water's tapped. We have been on alert for too long. We need more, this spring, unlike other springs that are like, get out there and do the thing. This spring is, has been more about getting people to rest, getting people to, to, to eat nourishing foods, people get, getting people to spend quality time in the same space with other people to be able to rebuild some of those things that support that cycle. So the next spring, we can get out there and do all that stuff again. Right, right. Not, not so fast. Not so fast, because mm -hmm. we're not, we, we tapped all this all these other tanks out. We can't, we can't just leap in like nothing's happened. So, you know, I'm getting um, from, a, from a very personal, intimate um, mm -hmm. experience. I'm having such an insight about a spring and trauma. And in, in some ways, a, a feeling of gratitude right now that when Archer was injured, I was so propelled to move towards him and, and I mean, desperately, on, you know, on the floor, on my knees, begging God for mercy to, and to see my son. Mm -hmm. I needed to see my son and the hospital wouldn't allow me. And when, after many, many, many hours of carrying on, they did finally allow me to see him. And I, we had this incredible, um, truly 
an experience beyond any I've ever had before, you know, where he was like glowing and, and it's, you know, I, I think a number of things really happened and that was also this a state, but I'm thinking that how important that was energetically from a moving through trauma to have not gotten stuck in spring and that pushing then. And, and yet I'm wondering, and I will come see you again as I do. I mean, full disclosure, I go for an acupuncture treatment weekly for my eyes mm -hmm. that are getting better and stronger and, and also with homeopathy and, yep. um, and herbs and mm -hmm. supplements. Um, but just like, where, what is it in my trauma experience uh, with Archer that even if predisposed to early macular degeneration that put me into immediate uh, advanced macular degeneration at such a young age, mm -hmm. you know, which, which we, we know. I mean, I, I know it intellectually too. Like I know that was trauma. I know it is trauma and still having to work through it. But like, hmm, we, we're going to have to do some work on that. Well, culturally, it's interesting because if you listen to anybody talk colloquially, they'll say, I didn't have the stomach for that. Or I just couldn't look at that. Or just that really gets that. that really gets my back up, or that, and those aren't made up for nothing. They, I mean, they they they're talking about exactly what I treat her all the time. I'm getting such a aha because with our new nonprofit, mm -hmm. I see that mm -hmm. they're they're just new awakenings. For I I will see that I yep. see that <laughs> things just don't happen for nothing. Nope, <laughs> isn't that amazing? Well, and language is very important. How people, lots of times, a lot of the work I do, I, I mean, I tell people I am not your therapist. I don't care, you know, if your mother had to do with it. I don't care, you know, what the story was behind it. You can tell me the story if you want to. But what I really want to know is how you carry it in your body. Where do you feel it? And the language that we use to describe being alive is huge. Um, the first, I mean, you may or may not remember, the, but the first treatment I have with a patient, I will say, Okay, I want you to practice getting rid of two words. One is try, because you can't actually try to do anything. You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. You can do it badly. You can do it not as well as you wanted to. You could be a beginner at it, but you can't try to do it. And to try to do it creates a, in your body that then has to climb over that to get to whatever. And it creates a holding that you can't, that, that will eventually become stuck somewhere. The other one is the word stress, which was originally used to describe tension on bridges and load-bearing walls and things like that. Mm -hmm. And about the 1940s, we started using it for people, the same way that people now will use computer language to talk about themselves. And all stress means is this is my habit of response in the face of X, Y, or Z. I have to work with so-and-so and I clench my teeth until they leave. You know, or I have to do such and such and I hold my breath until I'm done with it. And then sometimes I forget to breathe when they leave, you know, or whatever the thing is. And so, and when our bodies react to something, then the rest of us follows. If you look at a baby, it, they eat when they're hungry, they drink when they're thirsty, they are mad when they're mad, they're <laughs> sleepy when they're sleepy, everything, their whole body is responding to the world. And that's actually true of us as grown-ups. but we think that all of this from here down is here to carry our head and our hands around. And it's actually, our whole body is still responding. Again, University of California did a study in the early 2000s where they were studying meridians. And so they, they'd done a thing where they uh, had somebody with a brain scan thing set up and they walked, they put them in a completely dark room and they'd open the door and light had come in and a bright light was in and certain parts of their brain would light up because their eyes like a brain yeah. mapping? Yeah, because the, mm -hmm. the, their their brain, their their eyes were sending messages to their brain, and their brain was mm -hmm. jumping up because of the light. And then they did the same thing in a completely dark room, and you know, separated their feet so acupuncturists could see what they were doing. But they would put needles in their feet that were part of that same energetic system, and the same part of the brain lit up. Well, a sister. Um, research project that they did was following biochemical signals with emotions and they realized that when someone is happy 
the chemical makeup of their toes, of the cells of their toes changes. When we don't think about, we think about them affecting emotions, but they're actually affecting all the cells of your body. So your toes are happy when you're happy. Your toes are frustrated when you're frustrated. And so all of you is still responding to the world. And so the language that we use to describe being alive can affect the way our bodies carry it. much in his head a lot and I have him journaling about body responses I really want to pause on that because that was a new piece that you gave to me many years ago which was um, in journaling or even just in quiet contemplation to really be much more mindful in a way of as a, as a mindfulness teacher to incorporate that, but to be mindful of my body yep. and to really come up with some language for what the experience was in my body. And then I got better, but it took me a while because we would talk and talk <laughs> and then I would get better at being able to say in a shorter period of time. And this is what actually was showing up when something mm -hmm. happened, and which is, of course, what you've been having to teach all of us to do. But I think it can be incredibly useful for anyone whether working with an acupuncturist or not, yep. to begin to become more familiar and intimate with your body's responses, like that baby analogy. Um, well, also, too, it'll allow you to self-care. Because if you know that every time you have to do such and such, you hold your breath, if you then set in a habit that before you have that meeting that always makes you hold your breath, you set an alarm on your phone or whatever five minutes ahead of time to breathe and to have that meeting be a reminder to breathe, then that's going to change how you sit through that meeting. And it actually then changes brain pattern. And then it changes brain pattern and it changes your interactions and it changes the meeting. And not only does it change the meeting, but it changes how the other person deals with the meeting and how that person deals with the meeting and how the person that serves those people lunch later deals with And this with is the why all of these aspects of integration are so exciting to mm -hmm. me because in all of their different modalities, e even for you with acupuncture, uh, as you mentioned, somatic mm -hmm. touch, uh, we haven't even talked about herbs, no. but you know, you are quite an herbalist. All these different modalities, and then many more mm -hmm. that you might not practice per se, but we're both familiar with, yeah. or maybe even have relied upon them. They they're all changing the body's response to the way because we're we're changing the way we think about things, and therefore like a, a patterning of the brain, so we can feel more alive in that way, move some pieces around. But the brain is actually just the high-paid legal assistant to the heart. It's the heart that's the real brain, isn't it? it? I mean, this is why people have, when they have heart transplants. Yes, right. And their, their favorite color will change. Yes. Their favorite food will change. Yes. And it's because the heart is, is in charge of stamping everything with who that person is. And so it takes a minute for the new heart to settle in and be like, oh, okay, so we have all these other body. We now. have all these other experiences that we now have to fold them together. Well, I really want to hang on to the fact that we like baseball, you know, or whatever it is. And and so then that negotiation has to happen. But the brain is just you can be you can be brain dead and still be alive. You cannot be heart dead and still be alive. Your heart is the first organ that works and the last one that stops. And from a Chinese medicine standpoint, it is the organ that receives the Shen or the spirit from heaven that then refracts into all the other organs and all the other aspects of who you are. And the whole, as one of my teachers, um, Thea Elijah, who's a lovely human, says, you know, this whole body is here for this heart to experience the world. These hands are here to touch so this heart can touch the world. These eyes are here so this heart can see the world. And you can lose pieces Obviously, there's some that are more important than others as far as continuing to function. But they're all here for the, for the heart to experience the world. And so if someone becomes a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, the heart is still here experiencing the world. They just have different things to work with. That's like Archer telling me. It was 
a very profound moment when we were talking and just about, you know, do you think you're going to be okay? Mm -hmm. And he said, I've got everything I need. And he looked down and he says, from here on up. And he, he wasn't just referencing that he's smart and he's got this great brain. He was referencing his heart mm -hmm. here on up. Yep. Yeah, it was very, it was really beautiful and so true. Thank you for that. You're I'm thinking it's just too juicy to pass up, but with IC that, the Integrative Center for Trauma mm -hmm. Healing, Advocacy and Transformation, which is focused on spinal cord injury families mm -hmm. and our helping them to navigate during a crisis for 30 days, our navigators are mostly parents of quadriplegics who are helping now these other spinal cord injury families in their in their heat of crisis. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering from that what it is that you're developing. What is it that you would be teaching our navigators if you were able to do that, that they could be inviting or showing the families, the parents who are in the crisis with their child or, or partner or typically son in those moments? to do for their own self-care while they're managing this very complicated medical crisis. First thing I would be teaching them is how to look after themselves in, as, as a parent who had already gone through it, how to look after themselves before they start assisting somebody else, to put on their, oxygen, their emotional oxygen mask first so that they are in a place of comfort and safety to then be able to presence and witness somebody else going through something similar without being triggered. And then the second step being how to then show them or be in being with them, how to presence things with them for them to pass that on to them. And truly the second is just almost the ancillary of the mm -hmm. first. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The self care truly, it's not selfish. Um, it is, uh, not only acceptable, it is a necessity mm -hmm. uh, to do this for yourself and to take the time and the attention mm -hmm. yeah, to, to, your, to yourself in that regard. It's really it's quite lovely. I can't wait to see what manifests from that. I can't either. And how, how we just might intersect on that. We, we shall see. Trauma healing is all about rewiring the dysregulated central nervous system. I hope you enjoyed the second part of our incredibly interesting conversation with acupuncturist Dr. Janice Campbell. Someday you may wake up too and have an epiphany about your life's direction. As with any big life change or even traumatic event, pay attention to what your body is telling you. Intentional touch and the redirection of your energy through acupuncture are valuable tools for a harmonious mind-body connection. You might consider seeking the guidance of a practitioner like Dr. Campbell as another way to restore peace and balance in your life. Healing is not always linear. It can have many twists and turns and it never hurts to have a guide. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 3, Episode 7. Patience, Jedi Master. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and following. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. These are the trauma healing learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the Blink of an Eye story. Blink of an Eye podcast is sponsored by I See That, the integrative center for trauma healing 
Advocacy and Transformation, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. I See That provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. I See That also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. I See That will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, October 5th, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.iseethat.org. That's I, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.